Hello, curiosity seekers. Welcome to Dissecting Medical History. I'm Ange. I'm a travel nurse, medical history enthusiast, and your host. If you're looking for a storytelling formatted podcast with fun and fascinating topics on history and bios, then you are in the right spot. Please note this is not in any way medical advice. If you have anything that's ever discussed in any of the podcast episodes, please seek medical attention. Now, let's get this story started. Hello, curiosity seekers. It's Ange. Today, I'm bringing you an episode about the four humors. I have taken it for granted that not everybody knows what the four humors are or what bloodletting is or even the history of it. And I apologize for that. I have studied bloodletting in the past, so I think this was a good refresher for me, and I want to bring this information to you so that moving forward, you will know what I'm talking about if I talk about one of the humors, which is a very common treatment throughout our history, all the way back from the Greek time. Even probably the Egyptians were using it as well. But it wasn't really documented as a medical practice until the uh, Greek time. So I want to go over this in this episode. And hopefully those who do know about bloodletting may learn something new today. And I hope that um, either way you'll enjoy this episode. So like I said, it, it originated way back. We're talking way back, like Greek times with Hippocrates. And there were some treaties written, and it's possible that some of these treaties were written by students of Hippocrates. But Hippocrates himself wrote down a lot of things about how to treat health, and and they had a lot of ideas about how diseases came about. And he came up with these four humors. And now this is specifically more of a Western medicine, although there are in Asian countries some form like the yin and yang where there is a balance, where Western medicine, they had the, the idea that there was four humors and they needed to be in balance as well. So the Western medicine, the, the philosophy, the physiology of it, it was practiced well into the 19th century which treatment itself for these humors, well, even the ideas of the humors are pretty wrong, (laughs) to say the least. They were still using them all the way up until the 19th century. Now, the four humors are blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. Black bile Uh, is also known as melancholy, and yellow bile is also known as cholera. And it was thought that a mix of these in a person could make up their their temperament, meaning their disposition or their mental status or their physical makeup. Everything from skin to hair was made up of a balance of these humors. Now, the idea was for them to be all in balance, And so in order to get them in balance, there had to be certain treatments. In the 16th century, 
it was thought that mental illness was associated with humors, a humorous imbalance as well. Another theory that was incorrect. The Hippocratic Treaty was related to the four humors on what they each meant. So for blood, it was thought that it was hot and wet, which is uh, related to spring. The yellow bile, hot and dry, related to summer. Black bile was cold and dry, related to the fall. And phlegm, cold and wet, related to the winter. So each humor had a predominant season. The Now this was in a treaty that was unpublished from the Greek time, but it was thought that there was certain hours for the humors. So for instance, I'm not sure which one is for which hours, but like every three hours, there was a different humor that was predominant in those three hours. So you could have blood predominantly between a certain amount of certain hours of the day. Now it also, they also thought that if a baby was conceived during those certain hours, that that baby would have predominantly predominant features for whatever humor was going on at that time of conception. Now, I don't know how that works. If one, the, there's a woman and a man, there are different hours of, of this humor. If the man was in a certain hour, maybe he was in the blood humor for that time and the woman was in the phlegm and they made a baby. Does that make it a baby blood phlegm baby? I don't know. They may have thought women had nothing to do with baby making except for keeping it in the womb. And maybe they thought it was predominantly the man or if everybody was on the same time clock and the whole world was in a certain humor at that time. So I'm not exactly sure. I didn't see that in the treaty. So, but it's still an interesting theory that I thought I would add. It was also thought that some of the humors had predominant age groups or that were predominant in certain age groups. So maybe your teenage years, you were blood because you were hot and energetic. I don't know. So that was another theory as well. And then even uh, treating, they thought there were certain times of the year that they could treat certain things um, based on the humors. Now, there are, like I said, some attributes to each one. Blood is known for the attributes of being joyous and joking and laughing and having a... a nice complexion, nice skin. The yellow was thought to be of passion and courageous, quick-tempered, and have hair that <laughs> changed colors. Um, that was also thought to be secreted by the liver. The black humor was sickly, hesitant, cowardly, and... Uh, that was secreted by the kidneys and the spleen. And phlegm was thought to make a person despondent, cold, forgetful, uh, and make them sleep a lot and just have real pale skin. And that was 
predominantly created by the lungs or the brain. In addition to those theories, there is also a theory that the elements, that the humors are related to elements like earth, fire, water, and air. And that also plays in with treatment. So let's say one of the treatments could be you need to move to a better climate that could have to do with air. And that could be related to one of the humors. So they thought those were connected as well. They use sort of an algorithm in order to treat a patient based on these humors. So for instance, is there a lack of appetite? Then that person might be cold. Or if if they have insomnia, then it's dry. So they put these things together in order to see what which humor might be out of balance. So in order to treat these humors, in order to make them balanced, they would have to change the diet or the lifestyle or occupation or the climate or treat with medication. And like I said, if it was air, they would have them move to a different climate. Like Hippocrates, he would he would tell a patient, you're going to have to change jobs. Maybe it's too stressful or maybe it's the environment, something was causing this imbalance. So the Greeks would treat with mostly diet. And it wasn't until later when aggressive treatment like bloodletting or purging came into mainstream. So purging is a form of getting rid of some of those humors. So they might possibly use a herb or a medication that was oftentimes poisonous to make the person vomit or to have diarrhea in order to get rid of these bad humors. Now, humor in Latin means liquid or fluid. So the idea of purging someone of a liquid is how they got their name because, of course, blood is liquid, diarrhea is liquid, phlegm is liquid, uh, vomit is liquid. So purging a person seemed to make sense. You would get them to get rid of these bad things. And, of course, vomit and diarrhea, those things smell, right? So it probably seemed logical that getting rid of these things made sense that you were, in fact, getting things in balance, especially like the vomit, the bile just does have that smell. So they probably thought they were doing a lot of good. Of course, a lot of times they weren't. And some sometimes the cure was, in the end, what killed them. But the other one, the most more famous way of purging was bloodletting. And they could use leeches. Oftentimes they did, but a lot of times they would use bloodletting. And bloodletting is where you take a instrument and cut through to bleed out a person from an artery. A lot of times they would do it from the arm. Sometimes they did it in the head. There was times that they would, I think, believe it was the temple that they would they would use. The amount of blood that was let out 
is debatable. That's many doctors have different theories on how much should be removed. There was a Dr. Rush that I had talked about in the yellow fever episode who loved bloodletting and used to do quite a bit of it. He purged people of their blood to a far more extent than others did. Greeks thought that the menstruation cycle of a woman was life's way, a natural way of having the the body balance itself out. In Galen's time, it was thought that removing blood from certain appendages, like if you remove blood from the right hand, you were helping to cure a disorder that started from the liver. If it was the left hand, it was probably the spleen. So depending on what body part was where the problem would originate. And so I don't know how they figured these things out. I don't understand how someone can come up with that logic and how it can continue for so long, but that's where we're at. That's what happened. And I'm not sure even how long that particular theory had lasted. I don't believe it lasted at least till the Middle Ages because they were using the arm uh, in order to cure people of certain diseases like the plague. So like speaking of the plague, the uh, idea was to remove the blood because it was thought that it caused inflammation. Bloodletting is thought to cure inflammation. And inflammation, of course, is a form that takes place with infection. So a lot of diseases have inflammation or infection. And so therefore, bloodletting was used a lot, again, up until the 19th century. And so it was such a commonplace that they had special instruments to do, to use with it. And there was a lancet that they would use to bloodlet, which is what the first medical journal was named after the lancet. The time of the plague, there ended up being a shortage of doctors. A lot of them were dying by treating patients that had the plague. So they started to enlist barbers who had already had the skills of using a razor And had them start doing bloodletting practices. They were treating those who had the plague. And it just became a practice where barbers that you, you went to barbers far beyond the time of the plague, they would go to a barber to, to be bloodlet. And there was a lot of different reasons to go uh, or to be treated. Everything from acne, asthma, any lung diseases, um, a cold, the plague, the, um, anything, just all kinds of disorders. I mean, anything you can think of pretty much, they would, they would feel like they needed to go to get bloodletted. Um, so that's how the, the barbers ended up being part of that whole bloodletting culture. And that's another reason why the pole of the barber is red and white is because the stripe of the red symbolizes blood And I think the white symbolizes um, bandages. So like I said, it was used for everything. And there was even a French doctor, Dr. Ferrand, who thought that 
bloodletting could cure a heartbreak. Another treatment they would use is enemas, of course. Enemas being a treatment that would go up the rectum with some type of fluid, usually water, but there's been so many different types of concoctions over the years. I'm not going to go into them that were thought to have been beneficial. I know in today's world, enemas are still, of course, used, but they're not used to balance any humors or just usually to help with constipation or get you ready for a colonoscopy. But the certain ones they use today, I was in a hospital back in Massachusetts that were using a molasses enema. I've heard of warm milk enemas, which maybe that's for probiotic reasons. I don't know. I've never done either of those. Um, there's, of course, the soapy water ones and warm water ones. Anyway, the enemas are also part of the purging. So back to bloodletting, there are times today where it still can be used. And I think I talked about this in the yellow fever episode where bloodletting is beneficial for certain rare disorders. One of those is called hemochromatosis. And that's where the body absorbs too much iron from the diet. Now, of course, iron is stored in our organs, but too much of it can be very toxic. And because a lot of the the iron is kept in our red blood cells, removing it on a regular basis is part of the treatment. Otherwise, there can be a lot of kidney or liver damage, a lot of organ damage. It's, it's stored in a lot of different organs. So that's the treatment for that. And there's another disorder called polycythemia vera, and that's a blood cancer. And that's where the bone marrow makes too many red blood cells. And of course, that isn't good because it makes the blood really thick. The blood flow slows and there can be blood clots that are formed, which can be very dangerous. Those blood clots can occlude the blood flow to certain parts of the body. And that can lead to death of whatever the blood's supposed to get to. Because, of course, blood does carry oxygen and our body needs that. There are other rare disorders that involve the need of bloodletting, but they are so rare that I'm not even going to talk about them. Well, that is a little bit about the four humors. I hope that helped a little bit with refreshing or educating you on those things that come up. And so I wanted to end with a little story about George Washington. I know it's a pretty famous story. A lot of people know about, about it, but maybe there are some of you that don't. But this story, I, I actually didn't know about it before I was a nurse, but I found it fascinating. So George Washington had retired from being the president of the United States and only after two and a half years of into retirement, he was out in Mount Vernon 
running his estate as he normally would. Healthy, healthy guy on his horse was riding around in the freezing rain and snow. Nothing new for him. He's back in back east. That happens. This was December 14th. Actually, his riding around was December 13th, 1799. And the next night, at well, that night, 2 a.m. in the morning, on December 14th, he woke up with a very sore throat and some hoarseness and short of breath. So his wife, Martha, had sent out for their aid. And the aide sent out for some doctors and a blood letter. So they all came and they treated him all day long. They took out um, about 80 ounces of blood, which is the equivalent to about 40% of our body's volume. It's quite a bit. And they purged him to make him vomit as well as diarrhea. So they were treating him like this all day long, treating him with those four humor theories. And he was not getting better. So by 10 o'clock that, that evening, he had died. They think that he probably lost too much blood. And I mean, it was probably just too much. They even did this this procedure where they create a blister and they put that on the throat to try to release some of that inflammation. So they thought they had to get rid of all that blood because his inflammation in his throat was so severe. That, that, that shortness of breath was uh, pretty substantial. And it was said... Throughout that day, he was very nice. He thanked everybody who came to help treat him, which just shows to his character. And it was such a great loss. It's a very tragic way to go. He was still pretty young. But today, I think that he could have been, I mean, obviously he could have been treated differently. If it was a, you know, a virus, then you there would have been ways to reduce the inflammation, maybe not get rid of the virus. But if it was a bacterial infection, they could have treated with antibiotics. It could have been laryngitis. It could have been epiglottis. It could have been pneumonia. Um, it could have been a tonsil thing. I'm not sure where exactly his problem was in his throat. But either way, if he was also having such severe trouble with breathing, they could have done things like um, intubated him until he was better. Or if worst case scenario, there is a Dr. Howard Merkel who wrote about George Washington. He suggested that even a tracheotomy could have been done where they put a hole in his throat below where he was not being able to breathe well in order to get him some air. But Maybe just some good old-fashioned steroids could have helped create uh, a reduction in that inflammation rather than bloodletting him to death. But anyway, that's a famous story of uh, bloodletting gone wrong for someone famous. And that is the end of today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it, you learned something. And if you did, please leave me 
a comment or hit the review star button part. I don't know what podcast you're listening to, but please give me some likes. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed today's mental vacation from your current life. If you did and are curious for more, please subscribe. Before you go, if you have anything to add to today's show or you have a topic that you think is worthy of dissection, please reach out on dissectingmedicalhistory.com or Instagram on dissectingmedicalhistory. Thank you and stay curious. <laughs>